My name is Trevor Strunk, BeagleBot on Twitter, and I am here with return guest, uh, Scott Benson. Hello, Scott. How are you? <laughs> hey, I'm so I'm working on my new game. Uh, <laughs> The funny thing is, if people haven't listened to the previous episodes, they they wouldn't know that you're not Scott. Mm. No, it's a, it's it's Josh Borman. It's it's Josh Borman from the uh, from the Twapwa. I think is the preferred pronunciation there. Yeah, Twapwa. Twapwa podcast. Is that is that how it's pronounced? Did you figure out how to pronounce? I fucking know. It's the worst of all possible worlds. The worst of all possible worlds. Yes, I like I like trying to figure out how acronyms are pronounced. Yeah. Um. Because I like I I think part of me just like has a masochistic streak yeah i think Twawapwa would be the uh, preferred pronunciation there because the t-w-o would be two but it's the wo gets in there i think because mm-hmm. you could you could do yeah two aupu yeah. but that feels weird to me so i think it's Twawapwa. <laughs> what i like about it is it sounds like it sounds like you know coming from the northeast it sounds like an area like a like a town that was just named after uh, the the Native Americans mm-hmm. that we uh, kicked out of there, right? Uh, unfairly, because there's a there's a place called like Chestachoa near, right. near me that like yeah, or like Chictawaga in uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. New York State, yeah, yeah, Tioga or yeah, I mean, there's like it's all over the place around here, but yeah, Tuapwa sounds like absolutely like oh yeah, there's a there's a place that I, I my cabin up in Tuapwa. Um, (laughs) well, we're only occasionally problematic. Uh, we mostly, you know, we talk about all manner of pop culture. Sometimes we talk about games, sometimes movies, sometimes theater. Sometimes we review episodes of an absolutely batshit insane children's Christian radio drama. So, you know, we kind of run the gamut, but our sort of tagline is case studies in the pop culture of a dying empire. And, uh, if you're interested in hearing about how cultural narratives shape the world that we live in, which probably is something you're interested in, given that you're listening <laughs> it, to this show. It's uh, possible. Yeah. yeah, it's possible. Give us a, give, give us a listen. We'd love to, we'd love to, love to have you. It's an excellent podcast. Now you guys really should listen to it. Um, I need to recommend podcasts on this more often, but uh, when I finally do Twapwa, uh, see now I'm just going to, that's, you know, yeah, you're nailing it, dude. Twapwa. Twap, no. Yeah. See the, the last W that's what I'm missing. It's Except okay. the, the worst of all possible pronunciations. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I will. I will be. I'll be recommending yours more often as I remember to do that. But yeah, no. Uh, sincerely, go listen. It's it, it's really good stuff. Um, I think we've had we had all three of you on at one point, right? Yeah, we all came on and talked about uh, Final Fantasy. We discussed, oh, we all played as prompt. We had discussed the importance of playing as prompto, which is something right. that I know well, unites our fans. Um, who could who could forget about? Yeah. The, the necessity of playing as Prompto is and then, extremely important. And then you came on our show, and I'm trying to remember what you talked about. Uh, it was mostly Prompto. No, I think it was Souls games. That's right, that's wrong. right. We talked about Dark Souls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a popular one to talk about, but it yeah. always is like super interesting. And I really like that one, actually. There are, there are times I find talking about the Souls games uh, uninteresting. Uh, I will say you guys brought a lot to the table on that one. Yeah, uh, we do what we can. I forget. I forget which one of you it was. It was, it was one. It was one of the ones. It was one of the three that was not you. I think <laughs> it probably wasn't me because I, I talked about this. Like Dark Souls is honestly not something that I love very much. I think mm-hmm. of the three of us, AJ is probably the one who is most into the Souls games. So I was going to say I him. thought it. I thought it was AJ who yeah. just had like like an incredibly deep level of lore. yeah. That's like, that's I him. Just, I was just like, oh, geez, okay. Like <laughs> you're, you're bringing a lot to the table here. Like I. I would be like, yeah, I think I think like Gwen is this guy 
Wikipedia and be like, no, Gwyn actually is like, <laughs> working off this lineage, like begat of of uh, Shehad, who is begat of. <laughs> if you actually look back and do the biblical genealogy on him, you'll find, I believe, you'll find that uh, contains a lot more information than you were putting it's, forth. It's true. It's it's like yeah, every AJ just listens to everyone talking about like, oh, who is Gwyn's mystery son? And he's like, <laughs> it's like it's never been more obvious that you people have read Ecclesiastes. It's like how some people get with like Star Wars, right? Like yeah. that, which. I've never been the kind of person to get super into the lore of a given franchise. Like, I think even Star Trek, which I would say is the thing that I'm closest to with that, my brain just can't retain that level of deep lore. And also, if it's not something that is in service of a narrative or a theme, I just end up being like, well, this is just a bunch of guys to remember. And some people like to remember <laughs> a bunch of guys, especially like sports fans are, are notorious. Yeah. For that, well, I mean, David Roth has built a small empire on right. this. He's like rapidly buying up land in Central Africa to uh, to ensure his uh, his domain. There's a whole um, one of my favorite uh, genres of quiz bowl pack is uh, a pack called Let's Remember Some Guys. And it's just uh, quiz bowl packs of literally, hey, remember that guy who played baseball for, you know, the Cardinals or whatever, from whatever to whatever, who got these stats? What's his name? God, that is a, that's an extreme one. Yeah. That that must be, that was like, that's only for real heads, right? Well, and it's, yeah, it's it's quiz bowl too. So like, obviously. I know, well, quiz quiz bowl's intense. I mean, I think we've talked about quiz bowl on here too. We did quiz bowl at the beginning of our episodes. I I remember we we did. Oh yeah. Anyway. That's right. That's a lot about uh, our our podcasts and how fun they are. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone knows about them now. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, the one thing, like we are going to be talking about, about these games that uh, we're going to be talking about thief Two primarily, but of course, since um, you played thief two more recently than I did, and I played system shock two more recently Mm -hmm. than you did, I think. Oh really? When did you play uh, shock two most recently? Well, when did you play shock two most recently? Um, I'm realizing it's been quite a while for me. Oh no, it's like maybe a year and a half, two years. Okay. You probably beat me. I think, I think I played like two and a half to three years ago, something, something along those lines. It was probably pre pandemic. Sure. Uh, but but recently enough that I remember it quite well. Yeah. Like, you know, as an adult. Basically. I mean, look, we can we can talk shock, too, as well. Like, maybe we should just talk about, like, the whole looking glass thing. Well, so I had, yeah, I had some thoughts about that. Like, I, I definitely want to, I definitely want to bring both in. But I, I want to hear your thoughts on Thief 2 as well, because I think, sure. like, tech, techno-humanism is is, mm-hmm. is so hot right now. Oh, yeah. Um, It's just, like, it's so hot. It's uh, so hot. <laughs> so, but the one thing, like, the one thing that I think is, is true about these games is they have this sort of, like, self-contained lore that does appeal to me in a yeah. way that like series lore doesn't always. I mean, I I'm I'm a sucker for the the Dark Souls lore in some ways, so you know, totally totally there with with everyone on that. But I also think like there's something about like the, the lore. I was I was trying to think of like okay, like what is the lore I've gotten into most? It's probably comics. Like probably like when I was really really into Marvel and DC comics, mm-hmm. I could like. I could tell, and I still probably contain most of it, like all the lore about like who's in the JSA and like who's, all that stuff. But like, aside from that, which feels sort of unfair because it's like a, it's more like a like a a se- I don't even know what to say. Like it's like a it's almost like an experience rather than a uh, a, a particular like discrete thing. The uh, the thing I really got into the lore most in was Dune when I was reading mm. Dune, and because Dune is like you have to know the lore of what's going on in Dune in order to like read the book. Like, I don't know if you've read Dune or not. I have not. No, I'm not a, I'm not a Dune head. I haven't even seen the movie. I'm a fake gamer girl. You should read Dune. Dune is good. Uh, and one of the reasons Dune is good is because, 
uh, Dune kind of like makes a world and, uh, and, and in making the world sort of just like lays it out for you and says like, okay, like this is what's important about the mm-hmm. world. Let's like, let's walk through it. Um, and what I like about that is it, it just kind of introduces stuff. It's like, okay, so like there's spice and spice is the thing that everyone wants. And there's also the guild and the guild are the people who like trade the spice. And right. there are these other people who need the spice. And you sort of like, it, it's dry in the sense that like, okay, reading about European history can be dry or whatever. Um, but it's also like this very rich, um, I don't know, approach to world building where you sort of like everything kind of layers in, right? It's never like, you know, we're telling you about the guild so we can tell you about, you know, this one member of the guild who's extremely powerful. It's like, we're telling you about the guild because we need you to know that like the main concern here is economics or the main concern here right. is royalty or whatever. Right? Yeah. Like grounds and, the stakes of the world. Right. Right. Exactly. And I feel like I feel like that's something that but it's like it's, it's similar to something that happens in in the Looking Glass games, and mm-hmm. that like most of what you get, like um, you know, candidly, I played like I I played and then watched a little bit of the very beginning of Thief Two, and um, I think like one of the things that I was surprised about was how evenly it layers in the world, even if you haven't played Thief One, right? Yeah, like it, absolutely. It really, it, it just gets you in on top. So I, I guess what I'm kind of interested in, first off, I have, I have a number of questions, but the thing I'll start you on is, how do you think, like, how do you think the storytelling works in these games that differentiates them from, say, like, I guess the most obvious thing would be differentiates them from current open world games, of sure. which they're clearly, clearly predecessors and influences. Um, but then also just, like, how does it differentiate from even, like, the kind of like uh, retro gaming or whatever, like it, it feels like it feels like it's of a particular moment to me. And you can certainly disagree with that. But like, I feel like it is. And I'm wondering if there's something about the story, something about the world building that yeah. makes that feel that way. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I should start by saying like Thief 2 was actually I played I played Thief 2 before I played Thief 1 um, uh-huh. because I had heard a bit about how. You know, the level design uh, is generally more polished in Thief 2 than in Thief 1, and that's true. Um, So I wanted to start with relatively more polished mechanics. And the mechanics of Thief, of the Thief games, are not super polished in general. You know, it was a period in time when first-person shooters were still sort of figuring their whole thing out. And so... It definitely takes a little bit to get used to the way that the game controls and the way that the game plays. But the thing that it nails, I think, is exactly what you were talking about, which is getting the world together and not just showing you a cutscene that's like, hey, here's the world and here's the stakes of the world, but instead right. integrating storytelling into the entire game throughout. Whether we're talking about you know, NPC dialogue, character design, level design, which I think is the key differentiator in all of these different things. So uh, I guess to, to, to go into a few specific examples, um, Please. you know, it, the, the level that really, you know, when you start Thief 2, the first level is a level that is really mostly a tutorial for the mechanics. It's If you haven't played the game before, it helps you understand how to sneak around in the dark how to whack guys on the back of the head with a blackjack. Uh, how, how to find secret areas. How to find secret areas, yeah. How to use yeah. water arrows to, to douse lights. What stuff can be doused, what stuff cannot be doused. You know, these are all important mechanical things for you to really get your head around the game. Um, 
the fact that there are guards and that the guards will come after you. But there's also civilians. And if you find the civilians uh, and they see you, they will go find a guard. But they're not an immediate <laughs> threat in the same way that the guards are. So you can generally be, you know, you can be a lot less worried about civilians for the most part. Because as long as you whack them before they go and run for a guard and you right. have a place to put the body, it's no big deal. So it really throws a lot at the player pretty quickly. Um, and I think that this is, again, another thing that games just, they hold your hand so much more now. Um, and I think maybe that there could be a way that there could be a happy medium between like this and the fucking, you know, press F to pay respects things of modern <laughs> video games. Sure, yeah. But on the other hand, I think there's something really cool about the fact that the game throws you into the world and is like, hey, you're a thief now. You're Garrett. You're this guy. Uh, what do you know about Garrett? Well, you know that he's very good at thievery. You know that he has a background in this stuff and that, you know, sometimes he's a contract guy. Sometimes he just steals stuff to make rent. It just sort of depends on what it is that he needs. And you are him now. Everything that you're going to experience from here on out, you are seeing through his eyes and you are experiencing with the same sort of freshness that he would also be experiencing it as a person. So I think that immersion, that immediate immersion in the world and its stakes is, is one of the biggest things uh, that for me takes the, the, the narrative design and the immersion and sort of links those things together and raises it very quickly in a way that, a way that not very many games of that time even do and certainly not in a way that, that many modern games do. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting, because I think, like, I think, you know, there, there are a couple things there. The one is that, uh, you know, it was a period of time where personalizing a character was not as, um, uh, I don't know, it was not as, like, immediate a thing mm -hmm. that you did, right? Well, and like, you, you not... can't customize Garrett. They, right, like, you're, right, right. you're just in his body. There's nothing at all that you can do beyond just, like, walking around and hearing him talk occasionally. But that's like, I mean, that's way less common now, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's way less common to actually have a, a character who is not someone that you have built, right? But I what mean, I think is like, so strange is that you feel more attached to the character, I think, as sure. a result of that. Because no, you're assuming yeah. this role. No, and I think you're right. Like, I think the part of me thinks that this is something that is going to, or it has been coming around mm. uh, in, in modern games a little bit. I mean, part of what people love about the Souls games is like this this feeling of being in a world with, you know, no real control over it, right? Um, you don't actually have much in the way of like ability to fix things or change things. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like you still get to customize your character. You still right. get to like more and more. Yeah, in Elden Ring and, and even more so, you get to be part of it. I mean, like, you know, you get to keep making these moral choices in games like Assassin's Creed. Um, you get to sort of decide like how how like you know good or bad you can min max your morality a little bit it's a little strange that way um i feel like indie games are starting to get to the point where it's like okay you are this person so deal with it mm -hmm. um you kind of have to just live in the world uh games like uh, pillars of eternity or the the uh, i don't know here's a great example uh games like um uh, uh disco elysium sure right? yeah like putting you in this role and saying like this is you like you're the sort of like loose detective who, right like has a partner who's more competent than you. Um, figure right. out a murder. And, uh, and with Disco Elysium, like, you can do things, you can customize your character in a way that changes some characteristics, but it's not uh -huh. fundamentally going to change who the guy is. Correct. Yeah. And Like, I, Harry I think, like, just kind of sucks. Yeah. And it's important that he sucks. Like, it, it wouldn't be the same game if he was, like, extraordinarily competent. Right. And, like, a, yeah, good dude. Like, it... it, it part of Part of what... 
I mean, part of it, it, it's very dangerous to say any discussion on like literature is uh, is emblematic of games because then you just like you put on you put on poor video games like the the truly like worst people in the world, the people who are like, uh, looks like uh, maybe. Did you read? Did you read? Uh, did you read a book by uh, David Foster Wallace? You read a book filled with massage, right? Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. know, like like the idea that a protagonist is who you're rooting for, that kind of people, right? Person rather, um, and I don't want to put that on video games, but it is something that is true. Like you feel connected to the character, and you feel gross if the character is gross. Or you feel cool if the character is cool in a way that is even more so than in film and, and literature. Yeah, and I think like in in this case, you know, you're you're sort of pointing out like it, it you can change things about the character you can change things about who they are but you can't change them well, um and, and I, I think too to your point of like identifying with the character mm-hmm. to me part of what made me really fall in love with thief pretty quickly is that i think garrett is a fucking great character um people love i think i think you're not alone in he's that. charming he's yeah. witty um, he, 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 he cracks wise, but not in that fucking annoying way that seems to be more and more common in movies these days, you know? Sure. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a specific way of writing. It's not mm-hmm. a school of writing. Right. Uh, yeah. But like, it's just like the way that things work is that there will be little things here and there where Garrett will notice a thing and be like, he'll just say something like, I can't think of a specific example, but it's generally something along the lines of, I didn't see that there before guess they won't mind if I take it. You know, it's just that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, if it, if they didn't nail the voice acting, if the guy who plays Garrett wasn't so fucking good, it would feel campy. Um, but it doesn't. It just feels like a guy who loves to sort of live in the darkness, who enjoys the fact that he is one of the best of the best, knows that fact, and takes a great deal of pleasure in it, which I, I think it's, it's, Again, something that you just don't see in games all that often because games are so content to just be a blank slate because mm-hmm. it goes back to the thing that you were talking about with uh, other RPGs where you are supposed to really uh, fill the character with yourself, like project mm-hmm. aspects of your own personality onto and into the character. Whereas sure. I find it so much more interesting to be the thing that we were talking about of here's a character who has these strong uh, characteristics there are certain pieces that you can fill in if you want, or you can just leave it as it is. And your choice to role play, you can do it how you want in the game with the mechanics that you want. And that also defines a part of who the character is. Right. And, I, you know, I think I think one of the things you, you said there uh, in talking about, like, it not working if, you know, if Garrett wasn't perfect there is part of the reason why it's not happening. Right. And that, like, you can take big swings you could take big swings in video games when they were cheaper to, to make. Mm-hmm. Um, in thinking about, like, uh, uh, I don't know why the first thing that comes to mind is David Cage. David Cage is a mess. I don't really like his games. Yeah, but he but, writes. I mean, he's a, he's a writerly writer. Like, he fucking writes so much. Yeah, it, it's not good. No. He writes a lot. Um, but I was thinking about his first uh, major game, Omicron. Uh, what was that called? Omicron, uh, <laughs> like, Mark of the something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's see. Oh, Omicron, the Nomad Soul. It's a horrible um, title. Well, so uh, famous for having uh, David Bowie in the game. You can uh, there's there's a uh, he's on the cover and everything. He's sort of like three D animated in the game. Was this a point and click uh, adventure game or what was the genre? No, it was a uh, it was like a sort of like a three D action RPG kind okay. of. It was a weird game. It was on the Dreamcast, so like uh, a lot of people didn't end up playing it. I started it and never finished it. It's weird. Um, it does the David Cage thing of like 
throwing a couple of like whoa crazy things at you but like it isn't super effective like it's it's fine um but i think like that's a perfect example where someone's like i have an idea for a character we can use we'll like we'll make this one character it'll be omicron the nomad soul and you'll mm-hmm. have to play as that character and it didn't work and the, the game didn't sell sure but now if a game doesn't sell right it's like it's a catastrophe it's huge it's a, it's a huge problem right whereas with something like thief 2 or system shock 2 it's like yeah, it didn't work so well. Uh, even thinking about like the Max Payne games, right? Like the first two were huge hits. Right. The third one, they didn't get the tone quite right. And people were like, I don't like this as much. Mm-hmm. Even now, like messing around with tone, uh, you know, you get, I talk about this in the book, but you get like, even within those like very character driven things, you have to become customizable to the to the player or uh, predictable anyway with the player, like as Metal Gear does, right? Mm-hmm. Like. So I think like a lot of it has to do with the fact that Thief 2 is in this wonderful sweet spot of, you know, you can make games are expensive, but they're cheap enough that you can take risks. Well, and and something, too, that I would point out the difference between like a very uh, a character that is like, hey, here's the character that you are playing now versus allowing you to populate the character as as you want mentally creating your own headcanon or whatever. You Mm -hmm. had mentioned System Shock 2 and System Shock 2 doesn't really tell you anything about who you know. Um, and, and, and like, yeah, and it's, I think what's like, what's interesting about System Shock 2, I was actually thinking about that, where like, it's a game that doesn't tell you anything about you, you're, you're kind of whoever you want to be. Until but the very, also, until the very, very end. The, which is, nah, I love it. I love it. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I love it so ironically, bad. but it's so, it's, it made me laugh. Uh, it does make me, yeah, no, it's, it's clear they just ran out of time. Yeah. They're like, we don't have the staff anymore. What 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 do we got? We have three people on site. It's like it's like it's, it's move out day. Everyone's already gone. Like, can we do like Terry, do uh, this monologue? Uh who's around <laughs> who can be the guy? What we need you to do is say the word nah and really lean into nah. it. <laughs> God. Um aside from that, uh well, there's an example of a character I would not want to play. Uh but yeah, like, you know, like the thing about System Shock 2 is like you as a character are forced to react to um, an external reality that you can't change. It's similar mm-hmm. to, to Dark Souls in this way, but you don't know you're you're faceless as well. Right. So, like, in fact, like you you almost have less to um, project onto than someone like Garrett, who you can say like, "Oh, I'm a little like Garrett in this way, or I'm a little like Garrett in that way." You right. just like you you're like this is a random grunt. And the only thing I have to like graft onto in this game is the is the bad guy is is uh, Shodan. Yeah, right. Like, and, and like it, that's yeah. And I think too with with Thief, you know, Garrett can change the world in numerous different ways. But you know, and mm-hmm. you as the player can change the world in multiple different ways depending on how you interact with it. Do you want to just do? Do you want to be a ghost? Do you want to just like never knock anybody out? Just steal everything behind people's backs? Uh, and and you know that you yeah. can do that. Do you want to go in with maximum force and uh, knock out everybody and, and and kill the guards who try to fuck you up and, you know, just like leave a pile of bodies? You can do that, too. Um, right. It's a bit different from System Shock because System Shock, uh, System Shock 2, rather, uh, has respawning enemies. And so they mm, sort of get yeah, in your way yeah. more. And it, it does feel a bit more gamey in that regard, whereas Thief and especially Thief 2, you feel like you are in a real place. And so the way that you interact with the world is a form of emergent storytelling in and of itself, honestly. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think, like, you know, the, the similarities between the games are are compelling to me because they speak to, like, a similar problem in that, like, and problem in, in, the, in a productive sense, 
like the problem of of both games is that they they throw you in and immediately give you all the mechanics, and so mm-hmm. the first parts are often the places people bounce off. Right. Like, you know, it's 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 an interesting way of of, of front loading a game. It might not always be effective, but it certainly is compelling and like an interesting way of like forcing a person into a, a kind of immersion. Um, yeah. Well, and also uh, unlike yeah. with again to use System Shock Two as an example, where you are leveling throughout the game, mm-hmm. the same set of tools and the same skill set that you have at the beginning of Thief is the same one you're going to have at the end. And so you master the mechanics as a player. And that is something where, again, like if you bounce off of it very quickly, you're never going to have the opportunity to even get there. But one of the reasons that I love Thief so much is that I can go back and play it over and over and over again in different ways. I mean, the fucking, the most recent one that I did, I went back and I played through um, the level... um, Life of the Party, which is the one where you have to okay. infiltrate Karis's weird fucking party where he has all the rich people in town showing up to his thing. Right. And I went into a little, there's a little greenhouse um, and there was a spider in there and I killed the spider and then I opened up somebody's journal and it was like talking about how my little pet spider is doing such a good job of taking care of all the pests in the greenhouse. And I was like, oh, God damn it. I killed somebody's spider. <laughs> it's just stuff That's like really that. Funny. It makes you feel like you're in the world. Yeah, and, and that, like, I, I think, like, it's one of those things that has not been replicated well, right? Where, mm-hmm. like, you sort of think about something like, um, I mean, I don't mind, but I, like, I think Bioshock is a, a, a series that is um, mostly maligned because later entries of it were not so great. Um, the first Bioshock's a really fun game. Yeah. Uh, it's a super fun game. Uh it's not I an immersive like, sim, though. Really, it's it's a it's a no. first person shooter with some RPG like mechanics, but ultimately it's still quite linear, and you don't really mm. control how the environment turns out in any meaningful way. Right, and like I, I feel like the the level of wit of like you know throwing exposition at you in the in the journals is different than in these two games, which feel more like you're coming across information about the world in a, in a mm-hmm. natural sort of like I don't know organic way. Let's yeah. say. Um, but like the other thing, like I think is is true about these. Uh, what you were just saying there, like the idea of like doing something in the world and finding out how it works, and then feeling good or bad about it. You know, this is something that people have been rediscovering in games too, and like thinking about like the the recent Hitman series, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the recent iteration of Hitman. Hitman, of course, is not a recent series at all. But um, you know, like the the fact that you get into these places and like there's a million ways to kill your target and every way you do it, like, you know, I'm, I'm remembering, you're talking about the party with all the rich people with uh, Karis. I was thinking about like, oh, there's this, there's the, the level in Hitman 2 where there's a wine press and like, you can go, you know, it's like 8,000 little things you have to do to get your target in the wine press right. and you crush them with the wine press. Right. And it gives you some sort of like achievement or like you get some, it's like, it, it's interesting things like that, that like ultimately are not necessary to making a playable game but are necessary for making a game that make you feel like you have some sort of like connection with the intricacies of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, one thing that's cool about the Hitman games, the contemporary Hitman games is that, you know, a lot of those little things are fairly scripted, right? These are like, yeah, sure. they create these little things in the games that you can do it this way, but the level design also allows for totally emergent moments where you can set something up yourself, however you want to. 
Um, right. It doesn't lock you into doing anything in one particular way. It provides suggestions. The level the level designers have, have created suggestions for certain things that you can do. They've scripted certain encounters in certain ways, but it doesn't force you into that. And that, to me, is something that, that that's why I love immersive sims more than any other mm-hmm. type of game. And it's also something that I think most game designers do not understand how to do. It is just because unless you are intentionally seeking out a system where the player's agency allows them to progress through different challenges in the way that they want to do it rather than the way that mm-hmm. you want to do it. Um, unless you have extensive experience with doing that, you aren't going to include that kind of design in your games. Yeah. And, I, you know, one of the things you say there that I think is really compelling is that idea of, like, you know, finding a way finding a way to encourage a player to do things the way they want to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of my I, – I really like the Dishonored series. I think Arcane is a wonderful, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful company. Yeah, Prey is but even better thing, for my money, but – Oh, no, I was actually going to say, the reason I like end up liking Prey more than Dishonored is because um, – Prey doesn't do the thing in Dishonored that I hate, which is it punishes you for playing the game in a particular yes. way. Like, if you want to get the end, and people, this isn't a new insight, people have been talking about this a lot, but, like, you know, the idea in Dishonored of, like, okay, you get a darker world if you kill the if you kill the guards. That's interesting. It's, like, an interesting idea. But ultimately, you foreclose a lot of the story if you do that. Right. And so, like, it's, it's more just, like, the game saying, like, oh, you played the wrong way. Uh, we gave you these tools, but it was a trick, right? Um, whereas right. something like Prey... They kind of they seem to have realized that, and so like the the ways that prey punishes you for making choices are much more much closer to something like Thief Two or System Shock Two, where like it just reveals different elements of the story to you. Mm-hmm. It sort of like introduces different ways of understanding the plot or like understanding what's happening on the base or or whatever, right? And it also changes the way that you are able to actually play the game. Like, mm-hmm. it, it right. changes the moving parts that exist in the level. Because if you're running around and knocking everybody out, you got fi- you got to find a place to hide those bodies, right? right. Um, right. If you are going around and doing something more lethal, that process becomes even more difficult. Um, and I think Dishonored specifically, the reason I've never been quite as able to get into Dishonored, I think, is that it also, how to put this? With immersive sims, one of the most important things is that regardless of what ends up happening in a given moment, you can still react to it in the way that you would if you were in that situation for real. And with Dishonored, uh, stealth is not actually all that. I mean, it's semi-viable in some parts of the game. But ultimately, if you end up in a in in, in, a, in a, a gunfight or a, a sword fight or you know whatever kind of fight, whatever it happens to be a sword and gunfight, you're largely going to be pressured into reloading the game rather than just mm-hmm. you know doing something semi stealthy, hiding a couple bodies and getting on with it. You are like you said forced into a certain way of playing, and that that's that's frustrating. Yeah. That's frustrating for the player, and I think it's also uh, immersion breaking in terms of the narrative. No, I agree. And I think, you know, that 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 sense of incentivizing the player to do things as opposed to punishing them, right? Like the idea of the carrot and the stick that mm-hmm. way is something that has been lost a little bit in AAA games. And that's not even like a difficulty discourse thing. It really is just like much of what we've been given in games is like a series of rewards as opposed yeah. to a series of consequences. Um, and again, like games are pushing back on that a little bit. We can, I mean, talking about Disco Elysium again or like even pointing to, to stuff like... Um, visual novels that, you know, you, you kind of have to play through every storyline in order to get the whole thing. Right. 
Um, or even stuff like uh, some of the stuff like Chris Person does on Highlight Reel a lot, like uh, the, the things where people are just kind of like messing around in sandboxes and stuff like that, I think speak to some of those things. But Thief 2 is, yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally right. But I cut you off. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, I think that the best way that you incentivize uh, a style of play is you make it feel amazing. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, one mm -hmm. example of this in, in Thief is there are guys who, like guards and so on, who will walk around with like little bags of money on their person or keys or things like that. And like, sure, you can knock them out and take their shit, but you know right. how much more fucking satisfying it is to just sit there in the darkness and grab the key off of them as they walk past? It's amazing. Right. You feel so like better. you are right. a fucking, it makes you, it's, it's cliche to say, but it makes you feel like a thief. It makes you feel like you are actually doing the thing and it's fucking cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's that's the that's the that's the appeal of a game like Thief and like or games like um, I mean, even even stuff like like Guitar Hero or something, right? Where like you're not really doing the thing, but if you do it in the right way, you feel like yes. you're doing the thing, and that is that ends up being its own reward. Um, I think, like you know, there is something about there's something about Thief that I feel in some ways, or Thief Two that. Well, Thief as well, actually, maybe even more so Thief. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and again, maybe even more so System Shock and System Shock 2, although that one a little less linear in its in its development. But like um development of themes. I have no idea what its actual history of development looks like. Uh don't 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 uh don't call me and tell me I'm wrong in the news. Uh, uh Ken but, Levine was involved, so fair to say it was a mess. Mm -hmm, that was mm -hmm, back when mm -hmm. people could still tell Ken Levine what to do. So <laughs> well, in theory anyway. Um but yeah, like I think I think like the the earlier games maybe even more so, but these are these are games that sort of have rough edges, have mm -hmm. like elements that, you know, feel very much like a game. Like thinking about like one of the things I think about a lot and I've never figured out a way to talk about or or write about is the idea of boundaries in video games and mm -hmm. maps and and the way that like maps are indicated as ending. Um and in Thief, uh, too, much like the, another game you, you came up to talk about at one point, Deus Ex. Um, Did I talk about Deus Ex on here? I think you talked about Deus Ex. Well, at least we thought about it at one point yeah, or another. Yeah, we will um, if we haven't, because that's that's another immersive sim that I think does some things better than Thief and a number of mm -hmm. things worse. And I would love to talk about yeah. it, even though I think Deus Ex is probably, in terms of its its own personal impact on me, probably the most important game in the world to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you're not alone in that. No. Um but like I feel like Deus Ex and Thief 2 have these sort of you're understood to be in set pieces, right? You're mm -hmm. understood it's understood that like there are boundaries to the world. Like in that first level of Thief 2, you can run up to the edge of the fence. Mm -hmm. Can't get outside the fence. Right. That's not where you're going. Right. And like that sort of understanding of like, okay, there are elements in here that are non-immersive. Not immersive in the sense of like you forget you're playing a video game. But immerse, you know, the immersion in it is that you are forced to take on a role, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas I think modern video gaming, for better or for worse, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, there's, there's certainly versions of it that I think work better. Like the, the things I think work really well in Death Stranding, for instance. Uh, and I'm, I'm just thinking of AAA video games here, just because, like, you know, comparing apples to apples. Um, but like, you know, the, the things that work really well for me in Death Stranding are the the things where I'm like, oh, this feels like a real big place. Yeah, or like Breath, of, Breath of the Wild is the same. Breath of the Wild is an excellent version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It, you can't see the seams. You can't see the the boundaries of the world particularly easily. Um, but I think all games attempt to do that. And I think in making an immersive game that is about immersing oneself in a role, you kind of need to 
have some rough edges. It needs to look like a game in some ways. You can't put all of your attention uh, and 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 focus on making the game feel like a movie or not like a right. game or real life or something. Yeah, I I think too that to that point, you know, Prey is probably the closest that an immersive sim has come to like achieving a truly integrated world that feels like a real world because mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you can go at least at least once you get the obstacles out of the way you can go pretty much anywhere on the station you want whenever you want you can go out in space you can use all of the yes. different doors to get back in and so that it does really 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 feel like a real fucking place i think yep. with thief um well thief thief 2 i i'd love to talk a little bit about a couple of the levels that feel closest to capturing that Okay. I do think that one is Life of the Party, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Life it's of the a classic level. It's a great it's a great level. You know, it has you the first half has you running around on on these rooftops. Um you can look down onto the street at any time, but you can't actually go down onto the street. If you do, <laughs> you die. Um and, and and the way that it enforces that is that there's no way to go down without taking right. fall damage. Um which honestly <laughs> Not a bad way of doing it's it. It's not a bad way of doing it. Yeah, the fact that, that they still sense. populate the streets with NPCs, even though you can't actually interact with them, it's makes it remarkable. feel real. Yeah. Um, especially for the time, right? I mean, what what is Thief 2? Like 99, 2000, something like that? I think that? it's 2001 or so. Insane. I think that's, I'm going to look that up to be sure, but I think that's right. Um, and I think, so that, that's, that's one good example of it. I think another great example is the level uh, shipping and receiving, which is actually the second level. This was the level that when I started playing Thief, I was like, how the fuck did they do this? Like, genuinely, how? How, with the tools that they had available at that time, did they make this happen? Because it's this gigantic fucking storage facility that has two completely different buildings, each of which contains a number of different units. You can get into these storage units through a lot of different uh, places. Some of them you can get in through windows. Some of them you can get in by picking locks and opening doors and things like that. Um, There's also this whole thing where there's like a little um, mechanism that eventually you find the key for where you can key in the number of a unit and it will open it up for you. Sort of like, which is cool because (laughs) the way they set it up is that in order to do that, you have to get the key off of somebody who would be like a manager of the building because they would be the only people who would have access to the things that open all the units. And then you can just like open all the units and go in and fucking steal the shit in there. And every single unit tells a different story. You've got Mm -hmm. uh, a unit that this guy is using to keep uh, his uh, recipes and secret ingredients. Uh, Turns out it's spiders. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert. Naturally, um, yeah. <laughs> That's case, always the answer. It's always the answer. It's always spiders. Um, and, and you know, there's, there's like, a whole thing where, like, there's a guy who's running a, a bootleg casino out of a storage unit, and he's deeply in arrears to the, uh, the, 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 the uh, storage That's company. Great. So when you go into his unit, it's already a fucking shambles, and there's only a few things that are, like, hiding around that you can actually get. <laughs> it's just, like... And, and, and to obviously what they did when they were setting up these levels is that they said the, the, the key to immersion is not simply to build a big world that you can go anywhere in that ultimately feels gamey or feels like, you know, it's, it's just for the sake of having more stuff. No, sure. what we want to do is pack as much detail into this world as we can. And these levels aren't 
massive, but they are pretty big. And there yeah. is so much detail in every corner of the levels that tells you what the point of the thing is. And do the limitations of the uh, dark engine, obviously it doesn't look amazing by modern standards, but it feels so much realer than games that I have played that have come out over the past few years that look absolutely gorgeous. But I'm like, oh yeah, I'm playing a fucking game. Right. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that that strikes me, um, I've been listening to a bunch because I'm I'm desperate for things to listen to while I'm walking around or at work or whatever. Um, uh, and I can't listen to podcasts because I pay too much attention to them. <laughs> and I I also found I can't listen to these and actually get any work done. Um, I've been listening to uh, this um, old radio drama Vincent Price used to do called The Price of Fear. Um, <laughs> That's an awesome title. Very good. It rocks. Like, it's so good. Half the stories are just Vincent Price saying, like, I knew this person and it was like a funny thing. And it's like, uh, it's like this, just like it'll be like Vincent Price. He'll be in the story, too. And it'll just be him interacting with someone having, like, you know, a horrible time or like their husband is possessed by his own talent or whatever. Yeah. Right? Like, it's it's Vincent Price. It's great. He's He's amazing. But like, there was one where I was listening to called uh, Guy Fox Day where he starts it off by saying, oh, do you, you'll have a good mystery. And he's like, you know, I'm not talking about like, you know, the kind of mysteries where it's like you know, that you might be thinking of. I'm talking about where you get like a set of clues and like a set of suspects. And at the end, they sit you down and they and they tell you all about it. And of course, I was like, Vincent, I love those. Of course. Um, and because I, I, I talk to him as he talks to me, he responds. Yeah, you got uh, it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. He's he's. I have a parasocial relationship with a <laughs> long dead actor, Vincent Price. I think a um, lot of people do, to be honest. Yeah, well, he's very charming. Um, but uh, he uh, he talks about like he says like oh I, I these have fallen out of favor recently. They're not they're not very popular right now. And it, it, I don't know how true that is. Uh, but also it struck me to think like I wonder how like how how true that is and why that would be the case. And one of the things that uh, sort of struck me while you were talking is that it kind of relates to the same problem in that like, if they're not popular, if this sort of like locked room mystery is not popular, it's in part because after you're done with it, you're done with it in one way, right? You've mm -hmm. solved it. Mm -hmm. Like Thief 2 has levels that you can solve. System Shock 2 has the same thing. Like you can solve it. You can fit, Prey does as well. All of these games we've been talking about, Deus Ex does. There are different choices you can make. There are different ways you can go about doing things. But ultimately there is a central puzzle. Mm -hmm that is solvable, right? Like these are essentially locked room mysteries where you're just like, okay, what are you gonna do to get out of here? Uh, what are you gonna do to get in here? What are you gonna, like, it, it's essentially like, you know, you have to find the correct sequence. And I, I feel like, you know, I don't know if it is, I, I think it is an issue of replayability, an issue of like finding a way to get your game continually played by a, a group of people and not like played and then, you know, enjoyed and then left. I think games do not like puzzles that can be solved anymore. Like, I don't sure. think games like that you can, like, finish a thing and be done with it. Like, even games like uh, mobile games, like a, a game Arknights I play a lot on, on the phone, um, like, is a, it's a uh, basically a tower defense game, um, you know, in the guise of a bunch of, in the guise of a visual novel with, like, a lot of, like, anime. Um but, like, it's essentially a tower defense game, and once you figure out how to do it, you can figure out how to do it for yeah. every level. And then they'll introduce challenges, right? Like, it'll be, like, there's a challenge mode. And then, like, oh, there's a rolling event where you have to, like, you can only do these two things in it. And then just knowing the puzzle isn't enough for developers now because they want you to go back and play another puzzle yeah. another one and another one. You know, I, Arcane kind of tried to do that with Deathloop. 
um, mm-hmm. where sort of much much of the, the the entire core puzzle structure was really spelled out to you extremely explicitly. And if you missed anything along the way, it was going to give you prompts to tell you what you needed to do to to a pretty annoying That's extent, great. honestly. It's um, pretty funny, which is a shame because. I think the level design is, it's not as good as the level design in Prey, but it definitely mm. is better in many ways than the level design in uh, Dishonored, I think. Yeah. And the guns feel really fun and stealth is a viable option. Uh, so, but the problem is like, you get to a certain point where you kind of have everything. And then mm. that at that point, you no longer really have any desire to do the other stuff because you've already kind of collected all the toys. Whereas I think the way that Thief 2 kind of solves for this is that it makes the world so interesting and rich and engaging that you want to go back and experience it again because you want to feel it again. To to me, immersive sims uh, are as much about what they make you feel as they are anything else. And that that's that's something that I've always felt about any sort of like art or media that I, that I consume. You know, when it comes to plays, I, I generally don't care as much about like with a piece of theater of does it check every single box of like production wise, does it have polish, et cetera? No, what I think about is did it hit me in the gut? And like, did I have that moment when the lights went down for the final time where I just sat in, back in my seat and went, holy fucking shit. That's right. what I want to feel when I'm playing a game. And um, I, I'd love to talk about a few examples of that in Please. Thief 2 specifically that gave me that yeah. feeling. Absolutely. Um, let me let me just quick say I agree. And I think that is a fascinating way to think about uh, think about video games, particularly and media. Uh, so I, I, I wholly co-sign now, uh, <laughs> but I'll let you go on and talk about those things instead of me uh, uh, co-opting you there. Cool. So. To the point of the plot of Thief 2, um, you know, a lot of the the plot exists in conversation with Thief 1, but like you said in, in, in the first, like up top, you don't necessarily need to have played the original Thief to understand most of what's going on. There's a couple right. things that are a little confusing, but by and large, they sort of tell you what's happening, which is there used to be this religious order called the Hammerites. The Hammerites, uh, they are, by the way, the organization that you are really up against in much of the original Thief. And then and then eventually you help them out. Um, but the Hammers have sort of like fallen by the wayside because there's a new hotness in town. And uh, <laughs> that hotness is called the Mechanists. And the Mechanists are this weird fucking religious order led by this guy named Karis. And this Karis dude is a fucking freak. He is so weird. <laughs> and in what I think is a very smart choice, you never actually see him. You only ever hear him. That's um, but you begin to understand who this guy is based on, A, how he talks, and B, how people talk about him. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, the first mission where you really start to understand exactly what this Karis guy is up to after a few missions that, again, sort of show you the, the mechanics and get you oriented in the world. The fact that, like, you know, um, the police sheriff uh, is, is is on the take. Right. He is heavily compromised because sure. he has been uh, helping Karis out with a number of different things. And so he's sort of indebted to Karis in a number of ways. So Karis is the fucking guy who is in control of most of what's going on. And the Mechanists, their order is largely in control of the town. And finally, we find out what the actual menace is behind this in what I think is such a cool way. There's this level called um, eavesdropping. 
And what you mm. do is you go in and you sneak into the mechanist seminary and you have to go up to this door and you have to listen at the door for this meeting between Sheriff Truert and Karis. And you just hear Karis talking about how he's made these beautiful new. Oh, and, and also something that's really cool, too, is that on the way into this eavesdropping you can actually find in the level examples of what is going on but you don't understand what you're looking at until you hear this right. conversation um that's really smart and what the conversation lets us know is that karis has been basically getting the sheriff to pull like vagrants and grifters off of the streets uh bringing them in to uh bringing them into Karis's uh, lair, basically. And Karis has been turning them into like mechanical uh, mechanized zombies, basically. <laughs> like he is, uh, he's created this machine that pretty much will take over their entire mental thing and put them into these like metal suits. And then Karis's big master plan, which we end up learning out about a little later on is to basically put one of these in every single rich person's house in the entire city and then detonate Listen. all of them at the same time. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is fucking hilarious. Um, and honestly, based Karis, not going to lie. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. That's a that's a good plan, actually. But all of this is to say, the way that you find this out, this conversation, you hear Karis, and he sounds like this. This was like mm -hmm. Karis's voice. Um, he's talking to the... That's a good Karis, Thank actually. You. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I will hear the words of Karis. And... Uh, yeah, you, you, you see that Karis has the sheriff in his back pocket. You learn that he is creating these guys. All of this is just from overhearing a conversation at a door. And then you hear the sound of somebody getting transformed into one of these horrible beings. And then you realize, oh, shit, that's what I saw in that room a little while ago. Mm -hmm. This is fucked up. Mm -hmm. That's the same weird-ass sound and, like, the fucking creepy breathing and the unhuman, like, voice that sounds just human enough. But why are they in pain? Why are they telling right. me to kill them? What is going on? And then you find, yeah, you, you just like you, you're you're able to unpack it at that you point. put the pieces yeah, together and it yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. It, it lets you do it it doesn't give you a fucking cut scene showing you the thing happen it doesn't like uh guide you through this in a way that insults your intelligence instead it's like hey you saw two and you saw two how about you put two and two together and right. it's awesome i mean it's just because then not only do you understand the stakes of what are going of what is going on also, all of the weird fucking mechanical shit that you've seen walking around that you haven't quite understood up until this point, both the mechanical servants and the other weird mechs, you're like, oh, this is Karis building shit to look like him because all of the robots have his voice, too. And so oh, it's yeah, like, that's funny. That's very funny. It's, okay, it's, yeah, I didn't, re I didn't realize that. That's really funny. But all this is, yeah, it's, it, he's created this world that is a massive tribute to himself because he is this weird, bitter, egotistical guy who has always wanted people to look up to him and you pity him on some level, but you're also like, God damn, this fucking guy, I need to take care of him. And also I'm way the hell out of my element right now. I'm just a thief. What am I going to do? See, that's like, that's, that's one of the things that like really works in a lot of genre fiction too, is this idea that, you know, and I, you know, not to, not to, uh, invite this into my home but uh uh it's what works in star wars like mm -hmm. the original star wars is that like every character in it outside of leia is like you know every hero anyway in it outside of leia is like just a person who's like i'm out of my depth like I don't have, right. i'm just like i'm just a farm kid or like oh i'm like i'm a i'm a hotshot pilot who steals things and like gets in trouble with the mob i'm not interested in taking on the empire right 
But that's why it's fun because they they see the stakes, they don't want to do it, and then ultimately they end up doing it because, like, to them, it's the right thing to do. It's like it's a very cliche thing. I mean, it's what happens in in Seven Samurai too, and like all all the various things that that Lucas and other people crib from, um, which is fine. I mean, they they openly crib from it, which I think is the best way to make film. Uh, but like, you know, it, it is it's something that I think in a lot of video game genre work now is sort of missed, where like you're not you're not someone who shouldn't care and ends up caring. You're typically someone who like cares initially, right? right. Or who is thrust into caring from the start. Um, well, and, or, it, and the thing that you care about might be, yeah, the, the thing that you care about might be different from the thing that ends up happening. Um, right. But that is very different from just like being pulled into something that you want no part of whatsoever, but you just got to do it. You got to deal. Exactly. Yeah, it, it it is that whole like, you know, I'm getting too old for this shit kind right. of thing, right? Um, no, I, I like that. That's really interesting. Like it's, you know, one of the things that I think, um, I, I mean, I was thinking about when you were talking about, uh, the, the, the sort of effectiveness of, of thieves environmental, uh, storytelling is the fact that like, it's not that people think it's not that games think that like people are dumb necessarily, or like, aren't going to, even that they aren't going to read the lore because like, I'm sure there are people playing thief Two who skip the cutscenes. Like, that's just like, yeah what what some people do it's fine it's like how some people play games they don't care about the plot um i think like it's it's that the game sort of the game maybe it's that games now are less inclined to give you the player the freedom to have like your own genuine emotional reaction to something yes right like it yeah, is, that's that's, that's is, FX. The determination of emotion. That is press yeah. F to pay respects in a nutshell, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, right. this is the thing that you are being told to do, and this is implying a way that you must feel right now. Right, exactly. And like, even like, it's 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 fascinating because like, even like something like um, a game I talk about a lot on on the show, uh, like something like Final Fantasy fourteen, that you have a sort of like, I mean, it's a it's a, a perfectly like it's an MMO, so of course it's like who have custom created this character to hell and back. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you'll get instances where you get three options to say something. And the three options don't change the, the, the plot of the game at all. It's right. just, it, it, it literally is just a response, right? But that response, it's, it's amazing how much agency even that makes you feel. Cause you're, you're allowed to be like, Oh, like, you know, so something sad happens and you're allowed to say like, to be like sad, or you're allowed to say like, I don't care about this. Or you're allowed to make some sort of like, off-kilter joke. Yeah, Ma Mass like, Effect okay. does that pretty effectively, too. Yeah, and, like, even that much... Yeah, Mass Effect's a great example. Like, even that much of a, of a of a way of, like, giving agency to the player is a way to allow them to, like, navigate the emotions of it. I mean, again, like, not to, not to go back to the well, but, like, thinking about something like visual novels, particularly, like, Japanese visual novels, where you're you're forced in in many of them, in some of, like, the classic ones, like the House of Fata Morgana, for instance, like, you're forced to... Um, or if, if you will, the, the one that I played that got me into them, uh, which is sort of a weird entry point, um, uh, had a full boyfriend, the, the pigeon dating simulator, which is, um, tremendous. Uh, you know, you, you end up playing all the, all the plot lines, right? Like, and in playing all the plot lines, you, you're forced to kind of like accept the story as a totality and change your emotions and, 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 you know, reckon with this stuff. And the game just assumes you're doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not like a point where the game stops you and quizzes you on how you're supposed to feel, <laughs> which I feel like is a lot of what happens yeah. in a lot of AAA games. Like you're, you're quiz. You're, it's like, are you feeling sad enough? Are you feeling happy enough? 
Um, and like that, that expectation that you can handle, you know, your own emotional regulation is something that I think Thief 2 as a AAA game, as like, you know, even like a first person shooter kind of like, like game. Um, I also System Shock 2 does this, like it, it's something that we don't get a lot of today, especially in like big military shooters, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't get that in Call of Duty and stuff. You get the, you get the gesture towards it. Right. Like this is a complicated issue. Like basically it may as well say like some of the screens would say like this is a complicated right. issue. Right. Like, but it isn't. You you have like a specific way you're supposed to feel emotionally. Um, I think that's a big part of like what you're helping me kind of pin down why these games feel different in a kind of nebulous way than than other ones from today. Yeah. Well, I I think too, this is something, you know, I, I for your listeners who are not familiar with me, like I do a lot of stuff in theater as well, or at least I have historically. And I think that in some ways this is a, this is increasingly a problem in theater as well. Um, Mm. It's different obviously because the mechanics of theater are different from the mechanics of games. But this thing of like, I think in many cases people go to a show or watch a movie or play a game expecting to be told how to feel actually. I think mm-hmm. that yeah. the modern audience is really, really uncomfortable with any form of ambiguity or anything that maybe forces them to question, how, how does this actually land with me? Do I like this? Do I dislike this? If I dislike this, can I point to a reason why and say why? Also, is this actually disliking the thing itself, I mean, the game, the movie, the play, or am I just disliking the way that it makes me feel? Can I live mm. in that discomfort? Does that teach me anything about myself or how I think about right. the world? There's, and, and it's frustrating to not, it's not, again, it's not as if Thief 2 is this incredibly morally complex storyline. Again, it's about a guy who just wants to steal shit, who ends up being dragged into a plot involving a megalomaniac and a bunch of walking robotic servants. Like, it's not it's not that deep, but... Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's where the Star Wars thing lines up, where it's like, that's not a, a deeply moral plot either. Right. But, like, it, it, feels, it feels more than it is in some ways because it lets you embody it. Exactly. Without telling you, like, okay, well, I mean, Star Wars does, but, like... Still, like it, it is the genre thing of being like, you know, oh, do I do I think it's cool that the 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 plucky thief has been uh, pushed into this, or do I just wish he could steal things? Like that's the choice you get to make. Right. Even that simple of a choice is is something more than we're given. Sometimes exactly, and you can choose in your own mind to play into that either way. You can decide that your Garrett is the guy who actually does end up begrudgingly want to save the day, or you can have your Garrett be just like God fucking damn it i gotta do this shit and that can affect the way that you play the game too maybe if you are the kind of person who as garrett you really want to be fundamentally like getting out there and doing the right thing and saving the day it might affect the way that you treat the npcs or the amount of shit that you steal right whereas if if you are just always being told what to do and exactly how to do it i keep coming back to this but like that to me takes away from the fundamental purpose of why I like playing games in the first place. I play games mm-hmm. because I want to immerse myself into a world that is different from the one where that I inhabit, where I'm given agency to actually do something and not be told how I ought to feel about it. Well, and, you know, I think that's, I think that's an, a, an important distinction because, you know, we're, we're, we're always given examples of games that give us agency to do crazy things, right? Like every game is something that, like, 
you've never done before. Right. Like this is, and, and in fact, like even games that are sort of simulations of like yard work or something are yard work in a discreet way that makes you feel good and stuff as opposed to yard work that never ends. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of someone who unfortunately has a yard. <laughs> uh, Condolences. I like, Couldn't be I, me. I, yeah. I've, oh God, I've threatened to just burn it all down and install concrete many times. And, uh, Turns out no one likes that plan except me. <laughs> that's my that's my Karis uh, turn right there, just becoming like <laughs> completely mechanistic. Like it's not good for nature. Who cares? Like I don't I don't care about anyone but me and my distaste for this lawn. Garrett, um, Garrett, but take a look at my beautiful new lawnmower, Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just a paver. Oh, uh, see now now I like him. Um, but no, like it it is it is the sense of like yeah, you could do everything like that, but it's not. You're rarely given characters that are. You're rarely given characters in this case, like Karis, that are even like remotely ambiguous, um, mm -hmm. or like in the way we like them. I, I'm thinking like my wife Kristen and I have like uh, a longstanding disagreement on a. It, it's not really that big of a disagreement. In fact, like it, it doesn't come up, but it's a disagreement that we both share on the book Invisible Man by by Ralph Ellison. Mm -hmm. I think Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison is great. She does not like it. Oh, and interesting. She doesn't like it. I mean, she she she's very well read. Um, the reason she doesn't like it is because she hates the the narrator. Like she just can't stand the way it is. She she finds no one in the in the, in the book likable. And I I mean I agree they're not like instantly likable characters. On the other hand, I think that's compelling. I find that fun to read. And it's not like it, it ends up being a taste thing. It ends up being like this thing of like, well, I just can't get into this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a risk. You know, she reads other books that have unlikable characters that she does. I was like going to say, what does she think not... about fucking Infinite Jest? <laughs> she, does, she has not read Infinite Jest. Oh, really? she, I don't think she, she'd like okay. it. Yeah, probably not. She She's okay with unlikable characters. Sure. Like, there are people like my grandmother who won't watch anything that doesn't have, like, a happy ending right. unlikable character. Right. Uh, that's fine, too. But, like, you know, it's, it is a matter of, like, and it's not, it's not that, you know, getting ahead of anyone who would accuse my wife of this. It's not that she's like racist or something. She reads a lot of books by authors of color that she really, really enjoys that have difficult and challenging questions about character and race. And I'm canceling your wife now for not liking Ralph Ellison. Please don't cancel yet. I feel like Ralph Ellison is more cancelable than my wife. Uh, that's, that's the hill I'll die on. <laughs> um, no, I mean like I, again, like, and also I just, I, I like the, uh, here, let me put it this way. Like, there's all sorts of books that land with her that way that might not land with me sure. because like I might not relate with the characters. And part of the reason I like the Ellison is because I'm reading it and I'm saying, oh, look at the modernist. Like, look how he's playing with the modernism here and, mm -hmm. and subverting it. It's like this feels like the way that like a Virginia Woolf text would go, but he's doing it differently because he's the invisible man underground. And it's like a, that's what is postmodern about this. It's like, you know, my you know literary critic brain is, is going crazy on this. And like that chance of being like some people are going to bounce off of this instantly because it won't resonate with them as opposed to this is pablum and everyone's going to like it um is i think in some ways the the a cruel but accurate way to describe like the fight we see all the time about like oh well you know everyone in this martin scorsese movie is mean so, right and like mean to women like why would i ever watch it like it is, it is a matter of like these are flawed and at times awful characters, and they're the only ones you're given. Um, so in that case, you're sort of left alone with your own morality to to, to navigate it. You're not given uh, a guide. Yeah, and if you're given a guide, you don't always like them. Um, I think that's something that games are are scared to do. Mm -hmm. I agree.
And, and I don't think, like, I don't think Thief even really goes that hard into this. Like, I think there's a bit of room for moral ambiguity of, like, how do you deal with the situation? But in Karis, I think, is somewhat sympathetic insofar as, like, yeah, he's a fucked up guy, but clearly there is something about him as a person that has gotten him to this point. Right. But with that said, it's not as if, like, it's ever in any doubt as to whether or not what they are doing is absolutely fucking diabolical. Again, just to be very clear, the idea here is that they are going to drag people off of the street. They are going to enslave them in robot masks. And then eventually, all of these robots will be able to detonate, thereby extinguishing all organic life on Earth. Like, that, that's, that's, that's a pretty diabolical it's plan. It's not great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it is like, I think... Yeah, I think this is one of those things where you're you you have to at some point ask like am I am I making a a game that is interesting because like the characters that's not really what I would say. I think like it's more about villains there. Like it's mm-hmm. about villains. Like are you is my villain interesting because they're they're so chaotic that I simply have to know how they feel and like mm-hmm. oh god, like where did this all come from? Like I I want to I want to understand and sympathize with them. As opposed to this person can be sympathized with and is also bad. Well, yeah, like I, I, yeah, I think to speak speak to Karis specifically, what's so interesting about him to me, at least, is that he just really wants to be liked, like mm-hmm. desperately, desperately, desperately wants to be liked. And we learn this through the various conversations that we hear. Like there are times where he talks to Garrett about like what his great master plan is and all this shit. But ultimately what we end up discovering is that this is just a guy who never quite fit in with the hammers for whatever reason, you know, that thing was not quite for, I know. Right. Like they had their cool little club and it just wasn't quite for him. So he was like, look, I gotta, I gotta make something different and I need them all to love me. And we learn more about this too in the writings. Like he's written these fucking like books of prophecy that we come across throughout the game (laughs) written, of course, from his perspective, but still, but still in the third person about how like, and then Karis spake and said, which is another thing that I love is that they use, this like sort of like pseudo Elizabethan like thou the kind of shit. Oh, that's so um, good. It's just it's it's fun. He's created this entire parallel uh, uh, scripture called the New Scripture of the Master Builder, and it's it's just taken yeah. all of the yeah. shit that the Hammers wrote and rewritten it to be about how awesome Karis is and it just helps you understand like this guy there is a world in which he was able to get the sort of the social affirmation that maybe he needed and he didn't end up becoming a fucking megalomaniac because you know he got that yeah and I think like I think we're sort of I think what's interesting about character about villains typically is that that feeling of like they could have been someone who was not a villain. Mm-hmm. This is not a like this is not at all like a uh, a particularly like you know groundbreaking yeah, yeah of course that but you know like you think about Shakespearean villains, right? Like and Shakespearean villains are cool because you look at someone like Iago in Othello mm-hmm. and you're like Iago really just absolutely feels like he's been passed over his whole life and he's so mad that Cassio is more beloved than he is mm-hmm. and like you know, depending on who you are reading it, maybe he loves Othello. Like, maybe he doesn't. Who who knows, right? Yeah, and you can and you like, can make a strong argument either way, and you can mount a credible production with either interpretation. Right. But ultimately, all the things driving Iago are things that you can actually, as a person, be like, oh, yeah, okay, like, 
I get it. I feel bad about like I feel bad about those things sometimes. But Iago is still like a miserable, awful individual. Yeah, he sucks. Um, yeah, unlike something like and part of, and, 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 and that's part of it too is like there's this dramatic irony too where it's like. Wait, Othello, how can you not see how big of a fucking piece of shit this guy is? Like, he sucks. It's so funny that Othello can't see how bad. <laughs> I mean, I, it's not, it's, it's a, it's a truly, uh, it's a dark play in, in a lot of ways and, and one of my very favorites, but also very funny in that yeah. one exact respect. I think that there's um, a number of things in, in that where if you play it, like you can play it as an extremely black comedy a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think mm-hmm. it can work pretty well. Well, yeah, no, I, I would agree. Um, welcome to Shakespeare cast. Uh, <laughs> uh, talk no, about no, Shakespeare please. on our podcast too. If you like that, go to patreoncom slash worst of all and check out our fucking shit. I, I rarely talk about, I taught Shakespeare. I should probably talk about it more on, on the podcast. Uh, we have an episode anyway. where we talk about, uh, fucking Coriolanus with Josh Sawyer. Hey, <laughs> you know, uh, yes. did you do that a lot on the podcast? Uh, not as often as we should have. That's really messed up. Agreed. Um, so the like, I think the villains we sort of get today, and I'm not saying it as like you know we don't get good villains today, but I because like I think they're good in their own way in, in some senses. But like we get villains who are expressly understandable in their villainy, like mm-hmm. you know, like over time we sort of learn it's essentially like taking the Iago or the Karis thing, and, and instead of at the end being like, but they're still totally irredeemable, awful people, saying at the end like, so don't we kind of think they're redeemable? Oh, sure. Yeah, like that's that's a very common villain trip. Or yep. you get the Joker, right? And the Joker right. is like the Joker is. So like I I actually this is this is an unpopular opinion at this point in like a lot of uh, circles, but I think the Heath Ledger Joker is quite good, uh, quite well written because it unpacks what's like uninteresting about the Joker, mm. which is the 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 origin stories. The fact that he has like thirty origin stories that he goes through, and there are right. all these like dark twisted things, and they're all lies, right? right? He's just like a guy that likes to do crime yeah just dude who sucks Um, like it doesn't actually have to be that deep he doesn't need a deep origin story he can just be a guy who sucks exactly which is like a a nice sort of like i don't i mean chris nolan's a a a weird director in a lot of ways i don't want to say he's like a brilliant guy but like on the other hand it's a nice deconstruction of like the serial killer myth of like oh this guy's so dark and twisted and weird and it's just like yeah but also he's just like a bad person who's like a garbage person um Whereas, like, with the current Joker, right, like, and, uh, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, I, I it, it's an interesting way of doing it to do King of Comedy, but the Joker. But the, you know, like, uh, the, like, the way of saying, like, I mean, the, there's a, there's a famous uh, version in the comics where uh, the joke, it might be a killing joke, but I'm not sure, I can't remember at this point, but the, the, the origin of the Joker is basically like what happens when a guy has one bad day, right? Like what, what, you know, what, what happens when you have one bad day? Um, and that version of like understanding, like falling off the deep end after you've had one bad day, like the falling down kind of thing with, with, um, right. uh, with, uh, why am I, I, I can't remember his name, but Michael Huckers. defense. Um, yeah, right. Like the, the, that version of it is this, it's this, it's this lionizing of, collapse of like being like yeah i you know i i get that like i might go crazy one day too but ultimately it's just it's 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 um it's just fantasist stuff it's not it's not interesting about like the character because the character is not there it's right. literally the villain just becomes like a feeling you have in your gut well and i think as opposed to this complicated problem i think there's something also interesting about like 
pointing to the thing, but not fully explaining it, right? Where yeah. you you are you are guided in the direction of understanding how the villain came to be who they are. But it, it doesn't have to be like every single thing doesn't have to be stated. Like for instance, just I want to actually read you a little bit of the new scripture of the master builder. It's it's here on Okay, the, yes, it's, please. It's here. I'm Yeah, it's here. I'm listening. It's here on the Thief Wiki. Uh and I just I don't know, I just fucking love this because the writing shows you what Karis thinks of himself. Again, keeping in mm, mind, yeah. this is a draft for what he thinks is going to be the most brilliant thing in the world, his scripture. And so Karis did set Quill to paper to record his accomplishments, the most important of humankind before him, and certainly after, performed in the <laughs> service of the master builder. And at that time, none could know this scripture, and Karis could not read from it during his sermons, for he knew that humans, even his followers, in their weakness would not rejoice and celebrate, as Karis had at the good news of the Builder's Paradise. Because humans were flawed, they would fail to understand. It was only Karis who truly knew that humans were an invention of the Master Builder, that they might invent the Builder's children to please him. In the soft whirring of the clean oil gears of the children around him Karis heard the deafening roar of their approval isn't that <laughs> awesome I love that it's great because like it's it's so it is like deeply sinister yeah but it's also like it also is just this it's it's pathetic exactly too. and like exactly it, yeah it like I feel like this is something that you hear a lot on podcasts like particularly true crime podcasts where they're trying to like cover their tracks mm. at the end um, I mean, I've listened to a lot of true crime podcasts. Don't get me wrong. Uh, um, I have not. So I'll take your word for it. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, no, I mean, like, it's, it's just, it's a, it tends to be an interest. Uh, but also they're hard to listen to now because their politics are so infinitely clear. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, they just constantly say like, it's good thing. The police were there. Right. We love good police. Like, it's like, okay, fine. Um, but like, I find, I find like the history of crime quite interesting. And like, one of the things that true crime podcasts often do to cover their tracks and then their politics are like that that makes it sound like a little too like they're they're on the take of the cia what i mean here is like they do it because it feels like a good sort of like balance right to the to the mythology of the criminal is to say like you know these people are just assholes right or these people are just like you know pieces of garbage or whatever and like yeah okay like uh, people who kill like seven people are not good people they're they're assholes or pieces of garbage whatever right to but, me like, they're good the, actually but you know, oh no you're so twisted <laughs> yeah oh, oh my in god in this moment i have become the joker <laughs> but the you know like the that that like that affirmation only goes so far because of course like you're still listening to a podcast about them you're still sort of interested in them when you get that in a fictional character like karis and you're you look at it and you're like oh this guy is like this guy is just like the super annoying kid from mm -hmm. 10th grade yes. who I was like sort of yes. like forced to be friends with. That, that's exactly it's, who he is. Yeah, it's like, oh, like that sucks in a way that is not compelling. He, it's it's not sexy. It's it's awful. He's got this like really annoying little like giggle. Like he, he's, he sets up. <laughs> he's yeah, he sets up like in um in the level um uh life of the party. 
uh, Garrett ends up showing up and like there's all of these recordings that you have to find with with Karis mm-hmm. talking about how amazing his party is and it's like thank you so much for enjoying my fantastic party <laughs> it's like it is just like God. this guy is he sucks but somehow yeah. he's like done the Elon Musk thing where he's accessed all of the levers of power and so now he's the guy and it, right. it's just it's it's that's a fun dynamic. That is a dynamic that gives you a motivation to find out more about this person, to see what their fucking deal is. And, of course, it makes you want to destroy them. Right, of course. Yeah, and I think, like, I think what's cool about, about that, well, not cool, but, like, what is interesting and compelling about that version of, of evil is, like, it's not something that makes you feel like cool and badass or whatever. It's like, it's something that makes you feel kind of bad Mm -hmm. because you can recognize it in your everyday life. You can tie it in to say like, Oh, this guy reminds me of like the super pathetic billionaires on Twitter who like are constantly posting memes and being like, don't you like my Epic meme? And and, And it's like, Oh God, that's like, I'm, I'm not enjoying this in the same way, but that's a bold thing to say, like to do something that, you know, openly says like, you're not going to enjoy this in the way that like, you're not going to think like, oh, this is so epic. Yeah, this guy's so it's cool. Like, right. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be it's going to make you feel bad. And when you see him, because you do actually finally see him at the very, very end of the game. That's the only time that you actually see Karis's player model. And I want to mm-hmm. show this to you. I want to share my screen with you real quick. Ooh, wonderful. Yes. Please. And we can just describe. Why don't you can you just like describe what you're seeing here? Oh, this this guy. <laughs> uh, I got to I'm going to I'm going to do like a full screen here. Okay, so absolutely just uh, has watched way too many movies and thinks this is what cool people look right. like. Because um, this is also how he's dressed up all of his guys, too. Like, every everybody yeah, who you end okay. up coming across also looks like this. Helmet, helmet, just emphasizing the idea of his powerful brain. Yep. Um, he has the cod piece going on. Yep. It's sort of like a classic look. Uh, he looks like he is a... A guy who likes to say he's uh, classically trained. Or <laughs> yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Just an absolute nerd. Yeah. Uh, like, unbelievable. And again, like, if you want to say, like, this guy looks like a school shooter, which he kind of does, like, it's also just, like, how pathetic school shooters yeah. are, too. Like, he's just, like, the the worst people in the world. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> I know. I can't you, believe you should. It makes you feel bad, doesn't it? It's like, it, it does. Oh, that it doesn't guy. make you feel good. Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, no, it, which which is great. Like, that's just like, uh, it's just so, like, it's a much better version of of thinking about, um, of, like, villainy or, like, yeah. evil. Evil's a better example, right? Like, mm-hmm. villainy is, is always interesting. You give a rogues gallery and stuff. But evil is, like, can be just banal and stupid. Like, mm-hmm. the, I mean, to, like, I, to risk to do so, but, like, the... To make it topical for a second, like the the um, Highland Park shooter, yeah. just like this like guy who no one would ever want to have anything to do with, just like you know, weird bad rap going to Trump rallies just to find some people who might be sympathetic to him, just pathetic, but also like that's who does this right. stuff. It's like it's it's who is the person that you're supposed to be scared of. It's not in the end like. Everyone sort of enjoys visions of evil that are exceptional um, and aren't people you'd recognize because it, 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 it I mean, it feels better. Right. right? But uh, <clears throat> Karis is more interesting. 
as a result. I mean, yeah. Jonad's more interesting as a result too, because yeah. like she's she's supposed to be perfect and is ultimately like just a program made by someone that is fallible and destroyable. Um, yeah, and 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 this to me, I think too, is what ultimately for me makes Thief Two a better and more interesting game from a narrative perspective than the original Thief, because mm-hmm. in Thief One, the primary antagonist is the trickster, um, and the trickster is basically Satan. Um, mm-hmm. Like yeah, he, sure. he is, he is an all powerful <laughs> sort of like demigod kind of uh, situation. He has the ability to you know reshape matter at his whims, and there is nothing at all that any guy could do to really like stop this guy other than what ends up happening, which is, you know, he teams up with another, the the pagans, you know, there's, we could go into the story of thief one another day, but my point here is the motorcycle gang. Yes. uh, (laughs) But my, my point here is that there's something so much more interesting and so much more human about an approach where, yes, of course, the scope of what is going to happen is still apocalyptic in nature, but the characters are so, relatively speaking, grounded and believable as having distinct motivations. And in, yeah. I, I also think Shodan, like you said, is another excellent example where, you know, she has gained sentience and sort of gone rampant, but ultimately what she wants is to just build a world that for her feels more like the world ought to be. And she understands things through a different lens entirely. And she's not all powerful. She's still just an AI, but there's something like that you get about that motivation where it's like, yeah, I get that too. I also want a world that is better to what it is that I want. And yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a game called, um, and I, 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 wrote about it in an article on, I think it's, I think, yeah, it's still on uh, nonsite.org, which is a, an academic journal, but a good one. It's fun and it's free. So you can go, go read it if you want. Uh, but it's a, it's a game called, um, why am I forgetting what it's called? Uh, it's, ah, uh, shoot. I'm going to have to remember. Uh, cause I, I, cause now I'm thinking of AI, the Somnium files, which is a, a visual novel, but that's not what I'm trying to think of. It's, um, oh, it's called the Talos principle. God. Oh yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a puzzle shooter. And so like the, the whole thing in the Talos principle is you're like a, basically a robot that's going around in this place and, and you, you slowly unravel that the, that humanity has, has, um, you know, basically died mm-hmm. in the apocalypse. And your, your job is to take all the knowledge of humanity and become like perfect essentially. And like, and then, uh, you know, work to repopulate or like, you know, be more perfect as like an AI that is human or, or whatever. Right. And the, the sort of like twist is it, there's a God in it. Like basically mm. you're, you're given like a benevolent Christian God who is the, it turns out to be just like the, the, the program itself that is teaching you things. Um, it's kind of like Deus Ex. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in the end you have to kind of like, you have to, to get the, the good ending. Um, you have to defy the God and, and basically like destroy the program. Um, not like ultimately like, you know, groundbreaking, but it's pretty interesting the way, the way it all works. Um, and my argument, it's made the, it's really made the, uh, the, the creator of the game angry at me. Um, as I said, I said, I said, ultimately it was like sort of a conservative ending. Hmm. Um, and then they said that they included some, uh, quotes from Trotsky in it. So what am I talking <laughs> about? Which I, I mean, like I get, I, I, it's hard to do. I, I thought I was nice enough about it. Um, but it's tough, you know, like I, I don't, I don't blame that person, uh, necessarily, but, uh, I, I do disagree with them because, uh, you know, ultimately at the end of the game, 
you break the machine and then you wake up, you're this, you're this robot and you go and like, you go to repopulate the earth or whatever, like you, you set out. And it's just like, it's such a libertarian fantasy mm-hmm. of like, you know, like I, I've made my choice and my choice allows me to, to have autonomy um, as opposed to what the, the entire game was saying, which is like, you can't have autonomy because autonomy it died with people. Right. Um, I think what's interesting about Shodan it, as opposed to that is once you kill Shodan, it's not like it gives you any sort of like extra hope. Like the, the space station is still destroyed. Right. And, and, and in fact, like the reason. The well, and, and Shodan's actually still alive, turns out <laughs> at the yeah, very right. fucking end. Yeah, of course. But like, you know, the less the, we the, talk the, about that cutscene, the better. Well, and, but like, that's the thing about that cutscene, why it doesn't work is like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't work, but one of the reasons it doesn't work is because like that self-determination doesn't feel right within System Shock 2. It's like you're being strung along. There are all these monsters. There's Shodan. Right. And like, ultimately, when you destroy Shodan, it's no promise of a better world or like now you have autonomy or something. You're still on like this dead station. Um, and I think like that understanding of like, even if you stop this one thing, like the the bad feelings or the evil it uh, implies or produces or generates lives on is like, it can be done in very trite ways, but mm-hmm. I think it can be done in very interesting ways too. And I think it, this is one of the cases, particularly in uh, Thief 2 and System Shock 2, where like, yeah, you, you get this version of like, I finished the game, I beat the evil, but like ultimately the effect of what that evil is is still troubling to me like i think that's cool that it does that well and in thief 2 you know the the thing that's interesting is that uh karis by the end of the game is gone you've eliminated Mm -hmm. him and all of his uh you know (laughs) mechanism all of all of his uh metal servants but there are still other structures out there there are still other forces out there that have uh control and power within right. the world of the game that, you know, the pagans are still around. The hammers are still sort of a question mark because there are still some of those like people who were aligned with that set who are, who are out there somewhere. And so it's not done yet. It's not as if getting rid of one evil ensures that it's going to be a better future. Sort of like what you were saying. Right. Um, yeah. And unfortunately poor Garrett who is pretty much the epitome of a guy who just wants to grill, uh, is absolutely 100% going to get pulled back into this shit again as a result of that. Yeah, sure. And yeah, it's it's like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like what we what we end up getting with, like, superhero movies and, and the way that that uh, flattens morality and, like, and, and good and evil. I mean, and comics do this, too, is, like, you either get someone who is grimly committed to, to justice or someone who is kind of jokey and resistant, but ultimately comes around to being grimly committed to justice. Mm-hmm. And the sort of like the vacillation, the the disinterest in dealing with like the big questions of good and evil is something that falls out entirely. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think that Thief <coughs> as a franchise is necessarily necessarily a, a, a franchise that is interested in the question of like absolute good or absolute evil. Um, no, it doesn't seem to it be. Is, but, but that's not, which is not a bad thing. I think it's a game that, to the point of being a game about, about a fucking thief, it wants to play in those gray areas. It is a game about mm-hmm. hiding in shadows. And I think metaphorically that applies as well. It's not as if Garrett is a straight up, like, great guy. He, do, he, he, he doesn't right. suck, but his job is petty thievery. That's what he does <laughs> for a living. <laughs> and so, right. I don't know. It, it's just... It, 
it's something that is so endlessly interesting to me where the narrative and the world design raises all of these interesting questions about like, what does it mean to be an agent of change when you don't want to be one, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then how do you take that and how do you gamify it and how do you make it something fun? And it shouldn't work, but it does. And I, I, I love that. It is interesting, like, and, and uh, I, I, we're at an hour and a half, so I will let you go soon. But it is interesting that, like, the um, the the whole, uh, the way you've described Thief um, at this point has been, like, it is a, it is a, a story about, like, a, it's a, a system, it's a systemic kind mm-hmm. of storytelling, or, like, it, uh, uh, it tells a total story about an entire world. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I didn't even like, talk about the sheriff and his whole thing and the guards right. and like the, the fact that the entire fucking order of the city itself is fully on the take and fully corrupt. Right. But like it is, it's also, I don't know, like it's more interesting than a story that says like, okay, this is all about a system because ultimately your protagonist has, it's, it's not even like they're opposed to it. Like Garrett just doesn't have any interest in it. Right. Like Garrett is interested in his individual position and doesn't change at the end to be interested in the system. It's just that, you know, ultimately it, it just ends with it ends with him having to do like basically being put in a position to uh, fix the system in one small way. Right. And still be care, still only care about his own like personal self. Yeah. Which I think is super interesting. <laughs> like that's really cool. It's not the kind of uh, narrative because- that we get in games. Very often. No, and it's it's not the kind of narrative we get in a lot of a lot of media at this point because you know, because it 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 feels like a very um I don't know, like a like a very powerfully uh negative moment in time. Mm. <laughs> uh I think people want to shout and say like, you know, like I, I we can fix like I can I can tell you why like things are things are bad or like we can fix things if you just recognize that like we, you know, we ha- we have to understand that the the world, you know, can be better or something like that. Like it is, it is this moment where you're just like, yeah, like the world can be better. Sure, we can we can we can talk about systems and like systemic change and how to recognize like the way that you know levers of oppression work or something like that. But also, there's like a value of showing, not telling. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, and just like risking the fact that people are gonna ignore everything going on in Thief 2 and the way it talks about society in favor of being like, I wish Garrett could just grill. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, that's that's okay. And I think understanding that's okay and being like, maybe people aren't going to, uh, maybe people aren't going to get, like, super into my specific version of, uh, of history here is uh, something that, you know, folks need to be a little more comfortable with. Yeah. Well, Josh, any final thoughts? Anything that you want to add about uh, about this uh, lovely game? I'm glad I'm glad you brought it to uh, the attention of everyone because, of course, it's been a while. There's probably a lot of people in the audience who haven't played it. Yeah. Um, uh, anything you want to add uh, to the conversation? I would just say, go play Thief. Um, it is... How should they mod it? <laughs> yes. So, um, one of my co-hosts, Brian. Um, the hated Brian. the hated Brian, the loathed Brian Alford, um, uh, repeatedly every time I talk about Thief, he'll be like, "It's too dark." That's that's his opinion. It's too dark, and this is of course a game built in something called the Dark Engine. So mm-hmm. it is a dark game. Uh, it, it is a game that involves hiding in darkness, and it was originally designed to be played on a CRT. 
And so on modern LCD panels, the look of the game is not quite the best, right? So mm-hmm, I would say mm-hmm. that if you can play it either on a CRT, ideally, if you still have one of those kicking around, but who does? Or do it on an OLED panel. If you can't do okay. either of those things, uh, just do it on an LCD panel that can get pretty dark with the blacks because you want to have as 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 low of black levels as possible. It's available on Steam. I think it's like seven bucks or something like that. It's even less when IDOS puts their shit on sale, which they do all the time. Uh, you can download something called T2 Fix, which is it's a very straightforward patch. Download the patch, point it to the install directory. It's a one-click kind of thing. Um, that does that 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 does a number of things, uh, including uh, making the resolutions more flexible, uh, mm. reconfiguring the controls to be more like what you would expect because the default controls are fucking weird, um, and just basic little things like that. Um, sure. But yeah, that's that's really Thief. If you want to get started with Thief, I would recommend Thief Two as a jumping off point. Thief One, like I said, there's some interesting stuff in there, but also the game was still kind of figuring out its identity. Some of the level design is straight up bad in Thief One. And then there's also Thief Deadly Shadows, the third Thief game, uh, which is also a good game, but suffers from some of the issues of having to be ported to a console. Like it was developed for PC and console simultaneously back before consoles could do what PCs can do. Um, So it's got, you know, smaller levels and, and things of that nature. Um, and then there's also uh, the new reboot of Thief, which came out, I think, in like 2015 or something. Uh, that was Square Enix. I have not played it. I've heard it's pretty bad. Um, so I would not. Yeah, they, I mean, Square Enix, you know, ports out sequels on stuff that was that are like, you know, even moderately successful. Yeah. So the fact that it's one game should probably tell you what you need to know. Yeah, and I mean, I will go to the mat for Deus Ex Mankind Divided any damn day of the week. Um, People love that, but, but like, that, even that got a sequel. <laughs> well, Mankind Divided like, was the second sequel. There's Human Revolution and there's oh, Mankind Divided. Oh, yeah. A lot of people didn't like Mankind Divided. I did. Anyway, right. point it is... It could still get a sequel. Yeah. Uh, go out there, play some Thief. Uh, and also, if you like what you've heard today and you'd like to hear more of me talking for some reason, uh, The Worst of All Possible Worlds, again, is a podcast that I do with two other guys. We do case studies in the pop culture of a dying empire. You can go to worstpossible.world, which is our website, patreon.com slash worstofall, which is our Patreon. And uh, I would say a good place to start as any would be any of our video game episodes. We actually mm. uh, did one about Red Dead Redemption uh, a couple weeks ago that I think was really cool. Yeah, that um, was a cool one. I like that. And, you know, just in general, like, check it out. Uh, and, of course, you can listen to the one with our beloved Trevor Strunk as well. Ah, beloved is, is so strong, but also correct. Um, <laughs> Josh, thanks, thanks so strong, much Strong, but also here. correct choice. Yeah, you know what? It's very, very true in what you're saying. Yes. Um, thank you so much for being yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, everyone, everyone, go check out go check out The Worst of All Possible Worlds. And, uh, Josh, come back soon. Look it up. See you. Hey, thanks for listening to No Cartridge. If you'd like to support us further, please consider going to patreon.com slash no cartridge or for a one-time donation, paypal.me slash Hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. It's really, really helpful for all of us to be able to support uh, the many people who make the show, uh, you know, myself included, but also our producers and various co-hosts um, and, and writers and artists. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, any of those things that would let other people get the quality video game analysis that you've grown accustomed to.